Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Greg Gurley. Greg is the assistant athletics director of the University of Kansas Williams Fund and also the color commentator for the Kansas Jayhawks men's basketball program. Greg, we appreciate the time tonight. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So to start, we kind of both would like uh, you to talk about how your summer's been so far and an update about the plans in the fall. So it's been kind of a whirlwind summer because of April winning the national title. You know, we kind of April was busy with just parades, and trips and all kinds of stuff. It was great. And that kind of seeped into May and then Summertime for me is a lot of golf. Uh, we got a home at the Lake of the Ozarks, so a lot of lake time, uh, a few trips. So it's it's been good. And all the while working for KU Athletics, trying to raise money and get everything rolling there with football. And, and uh, you know, that was, was a great game on Friday night. So in my job is is seems like it's all basketball. It isn't. It's, it's a lot of, it's all sports, but uh, football is obviously a big part of it. So happy to get that rolling, but it's been a good summer. It's going to be a great fall and then head into uh basketball season. That's right. You know, basketball kicks off with late night, you know, just about a month or so away, middle of October. And then the first preseason game starts in November. So I think around 60 days, just over 60 days, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, this long, this off season has been really long and really exciting. And that kind of, kind of moves into my next question. You were able to call the Jayhawks national championship season, the national championship run with Brian Haney. Kind of what were your, some uh your favorite moments of that, of the game and then the entire uh, March run. Well, I'll start with the March run. It was just, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So we've had a lot of these opportunities that have been lost because of a, a loss in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or, you know, been to a couple of Final Fours. So just the whole process of, you know, going to the Big 12 tournament and winning three games, going home, doing some laundry, getting your stuff together, and then going to Fort Worth. Down there for four or five days, you win a couple, you come home for a couple of days, you go back out. So that was just like four weeks in a row that just goes like that. But it's so fun. 
And, uh, you know, once you get, you know, we get that win in Chicago, you're home for two days and then right back on the plane to New Orleans, which was awesome. Uh, the game, that whole week in, in New Orleans, we spent six nights there, which is a lot for New Orleans. If you've ever been there, it, it kind of wears on. It's like going to Vegas for six nights and because there's just all kinds of stuff around you. But it's the greatest sporting event I've ever been a part of. Uh, obviously, when you win it, it's so cool. Um, got to enjoy it with my family. Both of my daughters and my wife were there along with their boyfriends. So it made it so much cooler. I participated in a Final Four in 1993, which was also in New Orleans and did not win. But the experience there was great. This was my fourth Final Four in New Orleans as a player, commentator, and, and a, just a fan. So uh, it was a, it's great, you know, sitting press row, talking to all the CBS guys, and, the, you know, just just everything about the experience is so fun that, that so very few people get to experience. Then when it, then winning it, it's crazy. You know, it's it's I, I have nothing to do with the success of our team, but I love being there and and in the camaraderie and the being in the locker room after the game and then the, the post game party. It's just something you can never, you know, recreate. You know, we tried to capture it with some pictures and videos, but it's just such a special, fun feeling that nobody can ever take away from you. And it was it was a, a, a hopefully not a once in a lifetime. Uh, opportunity. Hopefully there's many, many more, but you really got to cherish them when they happen because I've been a part of some really good teams and we haven't gotten there. So, you know, you look at 88, then it took 20 years to win another one. Then in 08, it took another 14 years to win another one. So for as good as we've been, you can't take it for granted. Uh, Sam was actually in the stands for the national championship game. He was there. He was also uh, in the final four for both games. So he saw the Jayhawks win over Villanova. And then the final game that Mike Krzyzewski ever coached. Which I took, you know, great joy in because number one, I didn't want to play Duke. And number two, I was, I was just getting tired of it. And I think like, a lot of America was getting tired of it, except for the Duke faithful. Yeah. Mike Krzyzewski's great, greatest all time, all that. I get it. But it was the media just, it was overblown, I thought. Well, you know, when Bill Self retires, I don't think he'll go out like that. I don't think a lot of other guys, and maybe there was people telling him what to do, but it was a lot. So it was either, it was Duke people cheering for Duke, and nobody else because <laughs> everybody roots for the underdog. And, and so, and then not to mention if we're down 15 to Duke in the national championship game, I don't know if we come back. I mean, it's so rare to come back and that's not taking anything away from North Carolina, but as the NBA draft showed us, they had, well, they have four first rounders on that team. And yeah. sometimes it's, it's, it's when you're down by 15, that 15 turns into 18, turns into 22, turns into, you know, turn the lights off. No, we had a guy named Andy Bagwell. He actually wrote the infamous book, Duke Sucks. Like a couple months after the NCAA tournament, 
And he he didn't go to any of the any of the games, but you know, we talked to him and he said that it was such a different like build up, like building up to that Nova Kansas game. It kind of felt like this was a JV game, and then Duke and North Carolina was the game, yeah. the only game that was on the Saturday slate. And and I think as a Kansas guy being around how we get everybody's best shot and we get all the media attention, Bill and the team, I think, kind of loved it that people weren't really talking about us. We were the we were the forgotten team. Villanova had won two of the last five or whatever it was. Duke and Carolina are what they are, and we we're just kind of there. And I, again, I think it was great because the focus was not on us and it was not on Villanova either. You know, once we got to the championship game, obviously more of it became us, but I think we really liked the, Hey, nobody respects your role. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I, that I really liked that sucked for Ochai, but I interviewed him the day before the game, right when a national player of the year poll came out and Ochai got zero votes as the player of the year in the country. And Ochai's the nicest kid in the world, smiles, laughs, looks like nothing affects him. But I asked him about that, and and he he goes, yeah, kind of pissed me off a little bit, So, which was good. I, I do want to ask you this, you know, for you, what was really the big difference, like, afterwards from winning the championship this year in 2022 and when you were with the team in 2008? So, actually, in 2008, I wasn't working for the university at that time. I was – I was just a guy and I was still calling job television network games. So I was there. I was with, you know, we talked about Scott Pollard. I was with Pollard. I was with just a bunch of former players. We had a blast. And, you know, as a fan and a former player, we had a ball, similar type of deal. We had a big party in our room after the game, all the players were there, but this year was just different. I've, I've been doing this radio job now for 12 years and prior to that, doing television for about 15, or excuse me, 10, so 22 and all, give or take. And, and that, uh, it's just a little different because I'm with the team every day. I go on the road. So it's, it's just different with my relationship with the players and the coaches and staff as an employee in two different roles. So a little different, uh, but equally uh, enjoyable. You're a Kansas guy. You grew up in Leewood, played basketball at Shawnee Mission South. I am a Shawnee Mission East grad, unfortunately. Um, Boo. <laughs> um, you know, but you ultimately played for the Jayhawks from 1992 to 1995. You know, was it always the goal for you to go to Kansas and become a Jayhawk? You know, growing up, I wasn't necessarily a Kansas fan. I really wasn't a fan of anybody. If, if there was one team that I liked, it was North Carolina, uh, Michael Jordan. You know, I was born in 72, so the early 80s when I was really getting into it, it was, you know, you kind of are, are a fair weather fan. You, 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 you root for the teams that win. And, and so, but always lived in Kansas City. Both my parents went to Central Missouri State, so we, we weren't necessarily a KU family. But as I got better in high school, and started getting recruited by all the big boys. I live in Leewood. The school 35 minutes away is all over me. And it was kind of a, a perfect fit. Once they started recruiting me, I didn't really consider much else. I mean, I was 
I was I was not a McDonald's All-American or anything like that, but I was a top 100 kid. So I was a good recruit, not great. And when they decided that they wanted me, it kind of was a pretty easy decision. Just uh, decided that why wouldn't I go somewhere that's just down the road? Like 50% of my high school went to KU. And so I, I, I didn't grow up on it, but since high school, all our friends that go there are like, yeah, you got to go to KU. So pretty easy decision. What was your first encounter with Roy Williams like? My first encounter with Roy Williams? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, it's probably face-to-face. I, I used to go to the Roy Williams basketball camp. I don't know they wanted you to come to that. It really wasn't like an elite camp or anything. But back then, that's what you did because there weren't all these AAU terms and stuff. So I guess it was when he kind of took a liking to me. And, and I, I can't really remember the very first face-to-face. But uh, he, for a little guy, he's, a, he's an intimidating guy because at that stage of his career, he was young and trying to prove himself. So he was a hard charger. I mean, he was, he was tough. He didn't see that as a recruit because, you know, when you get recruited, everybody tells you you're the best player in the country until you sign and then they beat you up, you know, verbally. So that's how it goes for everybody. The other guy that recruited me really hard was Bill Self. He was at Oklahoma State and I used to talk to him all the time. And that's where our relationship began back in 1989. So that's why we have, you know, a little more history than, than most. And uh, I think we, we, we gel pretty well. You were part of a lot of successful teams. You were part of three teams that won the big, uh, not the big 12, big eight regular season championship. And then like you mentioned earlier, the 93 final four team in new Orleans during that time that you were at Kansas, do you have any fun or interesting Roy Williams stories? Like when you were an actual player? Like I said, he was, he was pretty rough, rough. He was a, we had hard practices. Some of my, worst and best memories are in Allen Fieldhouse and that's in practice. And so, I mean, we, we, uh, we had a lot of, you know, he kick us out of practice at four o'clock, get back in here at midnight and run, you know? So I don't, I don't want it to sound like he's a bad guy or anything, but some of my memories off the top of my head were more, you know, we get beat by somebody and the next day film room was, was brutal. And then practice was worse, but, uh, you know, I love the guy. He came back recently for the first time in a long time just to watch a game, and it was a great reunion. He's getting inducted into the Kansas Hall of Fame, uh, which is well-deserved. And what can you say about him? He won three national titles. You know, couldn't – I think that's one thing that really bugs him, that he couldn't bring one to Kansas. But we had a lot of opportunities, and, and – uh, you know, our program could have gone one of two ways in 1988 when Larry Brown left and hiring Roy Williams by Bob Frederick was not an easy decision. Probably wouldn't happen nowadays. You couldn't hire the second assistant at North Carolina to be the head coach at Kansas. That just wouldn't happen, but it did. And we could have gone on two different trajectories. And uh, in his third year at Kansas, after one year being on probation, 
we played for a national title in 1991. The, the storied history of Kansas basketball coaches in which there's only eight of them in 125 years is crazy. You know, Bill's entering his 20th season. Roy was here for 15. Larry Brown was only here for five or six. I mean, it's, it's crazy to have eight coaches in 125 years. Yeah, and we've had, at least if you look at some of these programs like Indiana or UConn or UCLA, some of those blue blood programs, they haven't had the long tenured coaching success. They've had a lot of coaching turnover for the past three or four years. Um, and there hasn't been as much stability within the program. I mean, they've had, some of them have had their fair share of winning, like Tom Crean was there, you know, Mick Cronin, but it hasn't been like 20 years of one coach. Well, then think about, you can go back even further. You know, you look at 20 years for Bill, 15 years for Roy, and those five years with Larry. Win a national title with Larry, but a multiple final fours with, with Roy and 14 of his 15 years in the tournament because the one year you couldn't because of the probation. So you're looking at, I mean, that's a lot of years in a row just making the tournament. You can go down the line, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, UCLA, everybody that we compare ourselves to has, they've had those blips where they've had a couple down years. I mean, they, they, you know, you look at North Carolina, uh, just a couple of years ago, they weren't in the tournament. Duke had a couple of years like that. Kentucky hasn't won an NCAA tournament game in like three years. You know, they didn't make the tournament two years ago. So we have not had those blips. But what Bill's done consistency-wise is ridiculous. And we're not going to – I don't think we're really going to appreciate it for 20 more years because – what you'll see when somebody new comes in, I hope I'm wrong, but what you'll see is it's almost impossible to have that level of consistency. Has it kind of ever amazed you that you're the voice of the program that you actually played for? Like, does that, do you ever like stop and think and like, huh, I can't believe I'm in this position? Well, yeah, because I was never, number one, I didn't, I didn't go to school for broadcasting and I never even thought about broadcasting until probably three or four years after I graduated and they asked me to do it. And so, but then to sit back and think about what I get to do and what I get paid to do it, it's crazy. I, 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 uh, I, I am extremely fortunate because I get to, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I get to be around the guys. I get to be around the coaches. I get to be on the plane, the bus, whatever. And, as a former player, when your career's over, that stops unless you're a coach or a broadcaster or whatever. So I get that kind of rush every day and that access that is really cool. And, and, and I do, I don't know if I pinch myself, but I definitely um, think about it. And I think about how lucky I am that I can raise money for the school that I love you know, make a difference in kids' lives, facilities, scholarships, whatever. And when I want to put the headset on and just go and call a game, I get front row seats, the national championship game. It's pretty cool. Right. 
Now, you had the opportunity to cover games with longtime broadcaster Bob Davis, and now you have the chance to work with Brian Haney. Uh, first, what was it like to to be working and knowing Bob Davis um, on the job? And then two, how are they different? How are they similar? So Bob is obviously kind of an old school guy and just – He's just happy and he's just he's easy. Being around Bob, he just he's just funny. The storytelling and the experiences that he's had from his career in broadcasting from the Royals and now with Kansas. And uh, he's just he was just so enjoyable and so kind to me. Um, he's uh, he's just an icon. And, and when I was playing. I kind of took a liking to Max and Bob because, you know, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't like I thought I would maybe be what, do what they're doing, but I was like, ah, these guys are just regular guys. They're fun. They're funny. They're easy to talk to. And so being able to work with Bob, he made it so easy. Um, and, and he was just, he, he's, he'll go down in, in history as, as, as I look at as the voice, you know, who throw it around a lot, whether it's Haney or me or whatever, to me, it's, it's Bob Davis and Max Falkenstein. And that's, that's it. We're, we're never going to, I won't be doing this job for 60 years. You know, Max, Max did it for 60 years. I mean, I hope to live to be 60. Uh, uh, so, and then Brian, the ultimate professional. I mean, he's so uh, good at what he does you know, he went to school for it and he, this is his dream job and he treats it like that. And he's, he's uh, like monumentally more prepared than I am. Uh, uh, I almost cheat off him because I'll, I'll get his notes and cause I'm kind of a uh, unorganized scatterbrain with the ability to, I think, put it all together in a game situation off of memory and whatnot. And Brian's more of a technical and as you should be as a play-by-play, have all your notes and everything. And I'm, you know, I'm fortunate because I call the same team every game as opposed to a Kevin Harlan that is in Portland one night, Portland versus the Lakers. Then the next night he's in Miami versus Charlotte. And he's got to learn two different teams night from night. I got to know our guys inside and out. I got to know everything about that. I got to know a little bit about the other team, but it's the Jayhawk radio network. It's not the Towson state radio network. So I don't, not that I don't care, but our, to me, our listeners want to hear about us and I'll get my pronunciations right. And all my other stuff, at least I think I will. And, but who's going to correct me if I don't get the guy's name right from a school that we're never going to see again. So that's the way I look at it, whether it's wrong or right. Brian and I have a, a great, chemistry and we've developed that over the last seven years figuring out when to talk not to talk over each other you know and 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 just little cues and things that you develop over time and first couple years it took some figuring out and then and he'll tell you the same thing can you give me a bob davis swish swish (laughs) kind of hold it a call that Bob used to make most all the time was he would, you know, the referee would call a foul on one of ours and he would just be like, he called a foul. Like it was just like, 
amazing to him that the referees would call a foul on us. And I'd kind of be like, well, Bob, you know, right across his arm, it's clearly a foul. And he, he, he gets so animated and his arms would be flailing and, and he just had such a, a passion for it. And, and the, you know, he just had those signature calls and, and those aren't easy. I mean, he, he developed them over time and, and, uh, and I miss him, you know, he's, he's, he, he's the best. Yeah, the one I think of the most was the uh, KU Mizzou 2011 game. I think it was a uh, Marcus Denman stole it from Marcus Morris, and Marcus Morris gets called for an intentional foul. And you just hear Bob Davis scream, "Oh, they call an intentional foul!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just he he you know, and that's again on the Jayhawk radio network. We're working for the Kansas Jayhawks, right? So we should be able to. You know, you're not going to be disrespectful to a referee or anything, but if we feel that it was a bad call, we're going to say it. And, I, and I'm always honest. You know, I, I try to be not like just a total blown smoke in our team. Like we can't, you know, I, I think our fan base enjoys hearing honesty. And sometimes that honesty is we're not playing very hard or this guy needs a rat or whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, we should be passionate. We should convey that we're in this just like a fan is. I always try to call it like I'm watching it with my buddies at a bar or in my basement without cussing. Obviously, that's the only difference. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's the way I kind of look at broadcasting. And, and quite honestly, not taking yourself too seriously. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the team. And it's about how you call it so our fan base enjoys the game. Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports. It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SPORTSMECCA, you could get $20 off your first purchase. Get your seat at SeatGeek today. Absolutely. So, uh, Greg, so as a uh, player and as a broadcaster, one of the things that is tough for all KU fans is the, the losses. Is it harder for you to get over the losses as a player or as a broadcaster? Oh, probably as a, as a, it's harder to get over them as a player because as a broadcaster, you know, like after winning the national championship, everywhere I go in town, Lawrence, Kansas city, whatever, congratulations, you know, like, and I, and I, my answer is always like, thank you, but I had nothing to do with it. Like, I'm glad I was there and I was glad I was able to call it and it is cool to be associated with it, but our role is, is cheerleaders, you know? And, and so I always think that my nervousness or pissed offness or whatever you want to call it after a game means nothing. It doesn't do anything for anybody. It's not like, you know, me worrying about something's going to affect the outcome. So I kind of try to uh, convey calm and, and, you know, I think as we convey that, hopefully our team maybe feeds off that, but much harder to take losses as a player than a broadcaster, for sure. 
Absolutely. So earlier we were talking about Roy Williams and his uh, trip back to Allen Fieldhouse. When we did interview Scott Pollard, we asked him about the time when uh, he uh, was a little bit outspoken about Roy Williams leaving and talked about how like players should like just transfer immediately after and like how he came off looking like a liar. But he got a really great reception back 20 years later or 19, I should say. Uh, what was it like uh, seeing the reception he got in his first trip back to Allen? It was well-deserved. Again, I think there's still that that minuscule amount of, of KU fans that are still angry with him for leaving. But I think if I'm him, let's just say that I, I played at Kansas, I broadcasted at Kansas, and I left for UCLA because they're going to pay me a bunch of money. And people were upset that I left. Every reason to be upset. I left for money. Roy Williams left to his home state when his mentor, Dean Smith, said, hey, it's time. I don't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't. he gave us 15 great years. I was disappointed as a, as a former player, as a fan, all that, because I didn't want to see him go because he was great for us. But once I learned that we're going to get Bill Self, who was the choice to get number one, two, and three, on our options, it couldn't have worked out any better for both schools. Carolina won three national titles in 15 or 18 years. Kansas won, has won two in 19 years. Like, it's like a fairy tale. It's like the script. It's crazy. So I, I'm glad that there weren't any boos because I know how Coach Williams is. 90,000, 99,000 people could be excited that he's coming back, but if there's a a hundred boots that would affect him more than the 99,000 cheering. So I'm glad that didn't happen because it shouldn't have happened. There's, there's no reason, you know, he, he was great for us. He came back. Hey, awesome. So uh, I, I'm glad it, it went off like it did. For sure. Um, yeah. So this year, the Kansas Jayhawks national champions, but earlier in the year, it felt like th that uh, goal was a little bit farther out. The team kind of had some struggles a little bit, winning some close games and had that blowout loss at home to the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, but at the end of the year, they were able to get themselves into uh, going from a really good team to a championship team. Uh, where was the turning point from the, the, the uh, Kansas team from uh, like kind of like that mid-February to like the TCU game to becoming that championship team? You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I've talked about it a lot. You, if you remember back, the, the Saturday before our season fina uh, regular season finale, we're in Waco. And we were number, I don't know, two, and they were four. We were both top tens. And we, uh, we lost to Baylor, which isn't a, any loss, a bad loss, but it, it was one of those that Baylor was really good. Baylor was a one seed in the NCAA tournament. We had a three-point lead with two or three minutes ago, and we lost. Okay, fine. We go home, and then we fly back to Texas to play TCU, and we got beat bad. Like, they got to every loose ball. They just beat us. We Ochai didn't have it that night. It was just – we sucked, and it was showed. And so we're flying home like, God, damn, who are we, you know? And that's the Tuesday before 
the end of the regular season right before the Big 12 tournament. So not a good place, not a good place to be in. Two losses in a row, still can win the Big 12 regular season title. And two days later, TCU comes to Lawrence for the COVID uh, remake or whatever. And we don't play that way. We, we, we barely beat TCU. And we were, we figured out oh, it's a revenge game. We're favored by 10. We're going to beat them by 20. No, we barely beat them. And then two days later, we played Texas. Ochai and Dave and Remy, everybody's senior night. We don't play very good. Ochai didn't score until the overtime, remember? And so I thought we'd have a much better Thursday, Saturday home schedule or play better at home. We really didn't. So going into the Big 12 tournament, even though we were the number one seed, I wasn't exactly thinking that we were going to spend six nights in New Orleans. But Remy, who really didn't play, his first game back was that Baylor game. He was okay. He didn't really do a whole lot. But the difference, I think, was Remy. Because those first couple games in Fort Worth, Ochai didn't play very well. And Remy did. Remember, we, we, we started out both games pretty slow. And mm -hmm. Remy came in and was just that spark. So everything kind of meshed and gelled. And once, once Ochai caught up and we got to Providence and we got to Miami, then things all started clicking. We really grew defensively, I thought, because we weren't a great defensive team in December, but we turned out to be a really good defensive team in March. Yeah, that was definitely a major difference. Um, so Remy Martin and David McCormick, they both had their struggles and dealt with injuries and criticism from the fan base. But both guys, the last um, five minutes of the game were really the two guys who stepped up the most and made some of the biggest made the biggest plays in the history of Kansas basketball. Um, what was it like seeing those two guys uh, overcome some of the adversity and the criticism? and uh, to put another championship banner up at uh, Allen Fieldhouse? Well, David McCormick is one of the most scrutinized and evaluated and criticized guys we've had in a long time. McDonald's All-American, Oak Hill, everybody. I mean, he's one of the nicest kids you'll ever be around. Graduated in three years from KU, and, and he was just a guy that, that – some days you'd be like, this guy's a monster, 22 and 18. I remember a game he had at Oklahoma. He was amazing. But then you had your dips, and David's dips, he was almost non-existent. He couldn't catch the ball. He couldn't – he'd miss dunks. Like, he had the body of an Adonis and an athletic-looking build, and we got so used to Doke dunking anything within five feet of the basket to Dave. And, and again, he got blasted by our fan base, by the media, even by Bill at times. I've been in those locker rooms where it wasn't pretty. And David just sat there and took it. And so to see him excel, that Miami game, he was great. The Villanova game, if David had, David should have been the most outstanding player of the final four. Mm -hmm. You won't get any argument from Ochai, from Bill, from me, from anyone. I, I thought he was robbed of that uh, opportunity to have his jersey hung up in the rafters. We vote 
as broadcasters. I voted and, and I voted for Dave. And like, I think a lot of other people, I don't know, and this is no offense to Ochai at all, but Dave won that game for us and really won the final four for us because his performance against Villanova, I, I don't, I don't get it, but the, the jacked up part of the all tournament team and the MOP of the final four is they make you turn your ballots in with two minutes to go in the game. When did Dave make four points? The, the final minute. minute. It's, it's just baffling to me that they don't have the technology to count votes after the game or, you know, wait till the buzzer sounds. What, what, what they do three, four years ago when Jenkins made the three against Carolina to win the national title for Villanova. I assume he was the MOP. I don't know, but he made a last second shot. Yeah. And Chalmers, Mario Chalmers uh, got MOP for his, uh, that the shot, the tie the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Dave, so happy for him. Um, what a way to go out. Um, I, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, hopefully he can, he can latch on somewhere and make some money at it, but he'll go down as the hero as he should. He come back to Lawrence. He better not ever pay for a drink or a, or a cheeseburger again in Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, but the guy who did get MO MOP with Ochai Abaji, he had one of the most legendary seasons for a Jayhawk is kind of comparable to Danny Manning senior year in a way with just yeah. like winning the title and just being the guy. Uh, where does Ochai stand with the uh, all-time Jayhawks? He's right up there. He's in the top 10. I mean, uh, shooting guards, he's, he's in the mix with any anybody you can name. Uh, and the way he did it was so cool from a – not not a walk-on by any stretch, but a, but a kind of forgotten recruit. Nobody really wanted – Bill saw him and loved him and redshirted him, you know, and, and then famously pulled his red shirt. I think we were, I want to say we were in Austin and uh, he ended up his open game was like, yeah, like 22 points in his first game in January. And everyone's like basically telling Bill how dumb he was for even redshirting him for the first two months. And then this is just a, a, a you know, what's the, a, an excess of riches or whatever that is. You know, we've 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 gotten so spoiled in Kansas that we redshirt a guy like Ochai Baji, you know, and 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 so uh, going into this season after what he learned from the NBA people about what he has to work on and he's got to be more explosive, he's got to be more consistent of a shooter, he's got to be a killer at the rim, he just has to be more athletic and work off the bounce. He took all that to heart and worked his butt off, and it turned into being the 14th pick in the draft, an All-American, one of the best Kansas players of all time, and most importantly, a national championship ring. It is a fairy tale story. Uh, I, I, I say it again, one of the nicest kids you'll ever be around, just like I said about Dave, but I, I'm not – and I tell you, if a guy was – I probably wouldn't say it about a guy if they weren't super nice, but they were good, but – Two of the best kids ever, great families. You wish nothing but the best for them. It's, a, it's again, a storybook story that, uh, that it, I hope it happens again. 
but mm -hmm. who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to transition now from uh, the national championship season to now uh, being the, coming in as the defending national champs in the, for the 22-23 season. Uh, Kay added a uh, Texas Tech transfer, Kevin McCuller, and then they have uh, some really good freshmen coming, coming in and Grady Dick, MJ Rice, and Ernest Yuda. Um, how do you see uh, Kevin McCuller fitting in into uh, KU's roster? And uh, do you see uh, any of the freshmen making a significant impact for uh, this upcoming team? They're going to have to because we lost, what, seven, eight guys. So, yeah, it, it's uh, Kevin McCuller, first off. It's great because he comes from a program where they stress defense. You know, Chris Beard and then now Mark Adams. Mark Adams kind of been the architect of their defense for years. So you get a guy for one year that knows how to play tough defense. And that's hard to get. Now it's easier to get now during the transfer portal era, but it's a, just a perfect guy to put into the puzzle piece for Christian Brown, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's the way I look at him is you lose Christian, you get Kevin. And I think that's uh, going to make us, uh, a much, much better team, and you don't have to, you know, you know, the old days, you lose Christian, Ochai, all these others, you got to just go out and find high school kids, and you got to teach them, and you got to train them in your ways, and it's, it's, it's a process, but now you can kind of go, oh, I saw that kid at Texas Tech. I like him. He wants to come here? Great. So, Kevin McCuller will be a starter, great defender, uh, smart, knows how to play the game, uh, him and Jalen Wilson have been playing together for years, so that helped get him here. So they've got a chemistry already. I was at practice today, and, and Kevin just makes those those smart plays. Now, freshman Grady Dick, he's a he's a star, you know, and he's and he's he's got to figure out how his game is going to adapt at this level. It's not going to happen overnight, and he's been you know the the hype. Everybody talks about Grady, and and we need to. I'm not saying this because he's not good. I'm just saying this. You got to pump the brakes a little bit because high school is different than college. And granted, he played at a big time program against the best players in the country. It's still different. So it's going to take him a, a bit to, to get acclimated to this game, playing hard every single play, the physicality, the defense, the way Bill Self wants you to play. It's not going to happen overnight. So, but he's got all the tools really shoot it he's long athletic and get to the rim so big time get for kansas um uh mj rice is a everyone's kind of comparing him to a wayne selden if you had to compare him to somebody and if that turns out to be true great for us because wayne selden was a stud so um you know joe yesifu is a guy we don't talk about much but he's he's coming back and and you know got a lot of valuable lessons from last year playing behind certain guys. So I look for Joe to get some big time minutes. KJ Adams going to be a great player for us. Offensively challenged somewhat, but his body, his athleticism, his burst, his ability to change shots, block shots, get rebounds, follow up dunks, probably not going to run a whole lot of plays for KJ, but man, when he comes in there, he's like a wrecking ball. Um, you know, I really like Zuby. I mean, I watched practice. I watched Zuby. Just an athletic long. Like, when he gets out, he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, he looks lost at times. 
but he's not going to play a ton. But when he gets in there, he can run and jump with the best of them. I kind of look at him again, if making comparisons as kind of a, a, a Jamari trailer. So, and if that's the case, great, but everybody likes comparisons. So here we go. Ernest Uday, uh, you know, long athletic 611 raw, uh, but athletic and long arms change a lot of shots blocked. Probably not going to run a lot of plays for him either. This is going to be a weird team for Bill because we don't have that prototypical back to the basket big. David McCormack, Dope, Cole Aldrich, you name them. He always seems to have them. Uh, doesn't mean we won't play some guys with their back to the basket, but it'll just be different. Guy, I didn't even mention Zach Clements. I think he'll have a big year, and he's a stretch five. So not something we've really experienced or Bill is comfortable with, but – He's going to have to be because that's what Zach is. Yeah, absolutely. And then I was watching the KU scrimmage earlier uh, in early June, and I thought, like, Yesifu looked really impressive. Like, he was, like, really shooting well and has a lot of confidence. Can definitely fit into that role Remy was in last year. I think Clements could be the guy that makes the big leap this year for uh, for Kansas. Like, yeah, definitely going to need some scoring inside. So, uh, so um, I want to talk about, you know, you played in the Big 8. You've been a broadcaster in the Big 12. You got to go play in many venues. You got to call games in many different venues. Um, what's your favorite venue to uh, broadcast in outside Allen Fieldhouse? Well, anytime we get to go to Madison Square Garden, it's so much history. Uh, so being able to, 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 to walk around Madison Square Garden, go in locker rooms, that's that's pretty cool. I really like Gallagher Iba in Stillwater. Uh, I like the old Gallagher better than the new because the new is they, they doubled the occupancy. The old one was about 6,000 people and it was loud and, and pretty cool. I've never had the opportunity to call a game in Cameron. We, that would never be a road game for us. Uh, so I can't really comment on that. I've been there, but never uh, in that regard. Um, Gosh, what else? I mean, NBA arenas are pretty cool because whether it's the United Center when we were in Chicago or Madison Square Garden, it's, it's just it's pretty cool. And then Mau Maui's probably my favorite just because it's Maui. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been to Maui now four times and we're going next year. So it's kind of hard to beat that. You'd be in the pool at two o'clock and calling a game an hour later just down the street and then back in the pool. So it's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What's a, are you looking forward to uh, being in uh, Atlantis for the battle for Atlantis? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we did that seven, eight years ago and it was, it was early on in their tournament. You know, there was like the second year, I think. So they hadn't quite worked out all the kinks. I'm anxious to see the improvements uh, to what they're going to do. You know, you play in a ballroom. It's just kind of different. Our guys are so spoiled. We have these big meeting rooms, these big locker rooms. And Atlantis, you go into like this ballroom with like chairs set up, like that's your locker room. And then you walk, <laughs> you, you walk through a casino to go to your room. Like it's just different. Um, it's not bad, but our, our, we're all creatures of habit and, this is just different. Now, 
get to go to Bahamas over Thanksgiving, I'll take that every year. So yes, I'm excited. Yeah, me and Stephen, we considered a battle for Atlantis like the worst, uh, like a uh, feast week tournament in college basketball. Like, this looks like on TV, like the there's lighting looks so bad, the ceiling looks so small, looks like you just shoot one, it just hits the top of the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're in a, it's like a boxing ring almost. The lighting is like really bright on the court, and the crowd is all dark. It, it is, it is like nothing you'll ever do throughout the year. But if that's where they tell us to go. That's where we're going to go. It is one of the most expensive places you'll ever go to. I mean, cheeseburgers are 34 bucks and a Coke. It's, it's, it's crazy. So uh, uh, we'll do it. We'll have a good time and then uh, get back for business. You mentioned now uh, you never got to call a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. It was funny, like Duke has not played a true road game, I think, in like 10 years, minus if you count out the ACC Big Ten. Do you ever wonder like why like Coach K would never schedule like a home and home with anybody? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it's a very loaded answer because you you need to get like our guy that does all the scheduling and figures it out. It's it's not as easy as just doing it. But if two guys like Bill Self and Mike Krzyzewski got together and said, hey, you tell your guy and I'll tell my guy, let's get this done. They could do it. So I don't know why we never have. Uh, but that would be pretty cool. I mean, you talk about uh, a tough ticket because we play Duke every three years in the, in the champions classic and that's mm-hmm. cool. It's at Madison square garden or Indianapolis or whatever, but it would be pretty cool to have them come to Allen and us go to Cameron because, you know, I talked to Jay Billis a lot and, and Jay's a, obviously a diehard Duke guy as he should be, but he, he, he talks about how great Allen Fieldhouse is and that's coming from a Dukey. But I'd like to experience. I'd like to have a, a point of reference. And uh, again, it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what, you know, our administrators want to do. So maybe someday we'll get it. Who knows? Do you think uh, now that Roy's retired, do you think the possibility of KU North Carolina home and home is a real possibility? Yeah. And, and that might be more of a real possibility than Duke because we play Duke every three years and it's hard to, you know, if you play them every three years, you could only, you could do it in those two off years, but I don't know. Sometimes you want to sign longer contracts. So, so North Carolina not being in the champions classic makes a little more sense. Now to me, I have been to a game at the, at the Smith center and it's good, but it's, to me, it's kind of sterile. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be like if we built a brand new Allen Fieldhouse, we would build it big and sweets and all that, but it just would never be the same. What's your thoughts on going to Rupp Arena? You know, I, I, I've been there many times. Uh, I actually played there in the NCAA tournament against Tim Duncan. Crazy enough. That's where you, your guy Pollard dominated Tim Duncan. 19, look up the box score from 1994, I think it was. I mean, Scotty was amazing. And, uh, and Tim Duncan was just a guy. He was just a skinny and a guy. But anyway. Rupp's good. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Rupp. It's different. It's there's a there's a hotel, then there's a kind of a conference center slash weird shopping mall, and then there's a port. There's a Rupp Arena, which is very nice. It's seats twenty thousand, and so it's just it's it's a city owned deal. It's just it's just different. It's not like Allen Fieldhouse. It doesn't have like when you look at Rupp, you're like okay, that looks like a commercial building 
Um, so, and I think even Kentucky fans would admit that it's a great venue, but it's just different. Yeah, I remember we had a, a year ago, uh, Matt Kleiman was on our podcast and we asked him what's the worst arena he's ever played in. And he said a uh, Rupp Arena. He, he described it as a maze, like getting through. It's kind of nice. You go down, there's a bar at the hotel and you, you go meet your buddies and then you walk about 100 feet to the gym. So that part's kind of cool. You walk out of your hotel room, and, mm-hmm. but it's 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 different. Yeah, I'll give them that. Yeah, absolutely. So as a broadcaster, too, uh, you gotten to call a lot of great teams at KU, but also you gotten to call uh, some great games as well. And uh, so you got to see a lot of great opponents in the Big 12, which the Big 12 has been one of the be- probably the best conference in basketball. Uh, who was an opposing player that you uh, broadcast that you really enjoyed watching? Well, this was back in the day when I was doing – Channel 6 or Sunflower Cable, which is now Midco. I used to do the games with Kevin Romery, and we used to have a ball. Kevin Durant in, what was that, 08? 07. 07. One of the greatest performances ever and a loss. I've never seen anybody like Kevin Durant. I mean, he's, he's essentially seven foot tall. He releases it a couple feet above his head. It's impossible to guard. He's one of the greatest scorers ever. And we got to see him in Allen Fieldhouse. And that would probably be as a broadcaster, as a player, the best performance I ever saw was Glenn Robinson against our team. We we playing Purdue in the NCAA tournament. And Glenn had, I don't know, 47 or something like that. He was a big, he was a six foot nine guard when there really weren't six foot nine guys didn't really do that back in the early mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, who is this guy? He'd bring the ball up and pull up from 25 feet. And you're like, geez. So Kevin Durant as a broadcaster, Glenn Robinson as a player. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say uh, for me, my favorite opposing big 12 player. I, I watch Kevin Durant was one, but buddy healed was another. Guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, that was such a, it shows you how, knowledgeable and respectful our fan base is because I'm sitting there press row after the game and Buddy Heald comes out to do a interview with his radio crew and our fans that were still there all stood up. Mm-hmm. That three overtime triple overtime game was ridiculous. He was he was so good and and uh, it, was, it was a shame someone had to lose but I'm glad it was them. Then I also I remember uh George Niang got like a big round of applause his uh, senior year at Allen Fieldhouse too. And he was like really surprised like to hear that applause too. I mean, there's been so many cool moments like that. I remember when Eddie Sutton ran down the, the sideline to go shake. It was either Nick Collison. I think it was Nick Collison or Kelvin Sampson hug Paul. P- like we all respect one another. We want to kill each other as far as the game is concerned. But when you see performances like that, you can't help but applaud and, and wish they were on your team. But, yeah, some of those, you know, Blake Griffin comes to mind or Kevin Durant, Buddy Heald, Glenn Robinson, Anthony Peeler, who's, you know, way older than you guys, uh, one of the best performances in Allen Fieldhouse. I think he had 46 in Allen in a loss my freshman year, his senior year. And I mean, 
look as a, as a kid growing up in Kansas City, Anthony Peeler was a god. I mean, he was so good, and unfortunately, he went to Missouri, but had an amazing college career and a 12, 13 year career in the NBA. So that's another guy that I would look at like, whew, that's a dude right there. Absolutely. Um, I got another question for you. Uh, to anyone chasing a dream out there, whether it's to be a KU basketball player one day or just a basketball player in general or being a broadcaster or just like anything that they want to do in life, uh, what advice would you give them? I'm kind of a bad guy to give advice from because my path was so strange. Like you can't really advise someone to, hey, go play at Kansas, get a degree, live in the same city that you were born in 30 minutes away. And if you're personable and some, some idiot hires you to do broadcasting, you're in. So I don't know. I mean, be around a lot. And sometimes things fall to you. Work hard, be nice, don't burn bridges. You know, Brian Haney is a great example of knowing that he wanted the Kansas job and knowing that if he just stayed in Lawrence and did what he was doing, he may not have ever got that. He left, moved to Lubbock, Texas, which is, I wouldn't have done that. Nothing against Lubbock, but. He moved to Lubbock, Texas for four years and, and did whatever they told him to do. And when the time came that Bob retired, he got his name in the mix. He had gone out and left the nest, so to speak. And he came back and now he's got his dream job. So I didn't have to do any of that. Uh, Jason Booker, who I now, who now works at Kansas Athletics, took me to Free State Brewery and over a beer. He asked me if I wanted to be the, the color analyst for the Jayhawk Radio Network. I said, yes. We didn't talk about money or nothing. I said, yes. I got a contract like a week later. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. Like, that is it. There was no, like, rigorous interview process. So that, And the reason I say that is that will probably never happen again. And I couldn't give you advice to do that because that's just not – realistic yeah absolutely um what are some ways uh, that KU fans or people can uh, support you and also support uh, Kansas athletics well supporting me is just listening yeah. and 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 giving me constructive criticism tell me I sound like I got a mouthful of marbles or I'm dumb or I don't know what I'm talking about which all of which could be true uh but just listen support because it's not about me or Brian or any of that. It's about the kids. So supporting Kansas is, is really important. As a Kansas alum, whether you're a Kansas fan, alum, whatever, we're in about seventh or eighth in the Big 12, so 10 teams, in quantity of donors. So we, have, we work off about just under 5,000 donors, but we raise the third most money out of the Big 12. So our top levels give more we do more with less I guess is what I'm trying to say but we need people to support we need you know you and Stephen to be Williams Fund members at a low level doesn't even have to be you know we're going to have our $50,000 a year guys we need young people to get involved in athletics because your options are you can watch the games on tv 
going to games anymore, ticket wise and all that. It's, you know, not everybody can do it, but we need that. NIL has added a whole new level to what our guys deal with and what we deal with as fundraisers. So uh, as far as how can you support Kansas, be a part of the Williams Fund, give back at a low level, high level, whatever, buy tickets. And then the biggest thing right now for us as an athletic department, we're sold out in basketball. You can get in there, but it's expensive. We need football to mm-hmm. take off. The economics of athletics is football. Basketball-wise, we've propped up this athletic department for 15 years. We Bill has. That's great. We're kind of at a point where there's only so much more you can squeeze out. Football has to get to that level. And guys like you have to buy tickets and come to games. And guys like you times 20,000. And then we can really see the, the, the financial impact that can move all of our programs forward. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And we got to pack the booth. It's cave football right. program getting going. Light poles doing a lot of great things. I got my ticket already. Got a ticket already for the next home game. I'm very excited to uh, fill fill the booth and uh, right. excited to see how this football program continues to build, which will help also the basketball program and other programs. At, at the University of Kansas. Well, Greg, we really appreciate it. You know, Sam and I have always enjoyed hearing your voice during the broadcast, and it's an honor to actually have the time to speak with you and hearing your stories about your time, a little bit as a player, but a lot uh, as a broadcaster and really being with the team and sharing stories on that because, you know, Sam and I, we just we just love hearing those stories from a perspective of us. I mean, we're just fans. So well, I love what you guys are doing. And, and when you guys reached out, I thought, yeah, for sure. Hour of my time. And if you guys want to listen to me ramble, for sure. So I appreciate you having me on. I love what you're doing. And uh, hopefully this gets many, many views and clicks or whatever shows this to be successful. Thanks for having me on, guys. For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.